The scripture reading for today is taken from Romans chapter 13, and we'll be reading together the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. Says the word of God. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. This afternoon, we'll also be reflecting in connection with Romans 13 on one of our confessions. We turn today to the Belgian Confession, and we'll be looking specifically at Article 36 of our Belgic Confession, the civil government. We believe that because of the depravity of mankind, our gracious God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. He wants the world to be governed by laws and statutes in order that the lawlessness of man be restrained and that everything be conducted among them in good order. For that purpose... He has placed the sword in the hand of the government to punish wrongdoers and to protect those who do what is good. Their task of restraining and sustaining is not limited to the public order, but includes the protection of the church and its ministry. In order that the kingdom of Christ may come, the word of the gospel may be preached everywhere, and God may be honored and served by everyone as he requires in his word. Moreover, everyone, no matter of what quality, condition, or rank, ought to be subject to the civil officers, pay taxes, hold them in honor and respect, and obey them in all things which do not disagree with the word of God. We ought to pray for them, that God may direct them in all their ways, and that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. For that reason, we condemn the Anabaptists and other rebellious people, and in general, all who reject the authorities and civil officers, subvert justice, introduce a communion of goods, and overturn the decency that God has established among men. Now, with regards to that final point, before we come into our sermon, it is good to note that when it speaks of the Anabaptists, at the time of this writing, there was a very militant group of Anabaptists that were rising up militarily against the government. 
So it's those in particular that are kept in mind here. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the last little while you may remember of those of you who are members of our congregation, the email that went out with regards to the government reaching out and wanting to have a discussion with, the mem- with all the pastors that are across our province. Now, in some ways, this was a meeting to be very thankful for. A meeting in which over 800 pastors were able to connect with the government. This is something that is unprecedented in our province's history. 800 pastors all at once. It was also something that was beautiful in that we were able to join together and bring up prayers before God. Spiritual leaders from across our province bring up prayers before God on behalf of our government, seeking that God would bless them with wisdom and also guidance in relation to this whole situation with COVID-19. On the other hand, humanly speaking, there was also a disappointing aspect to it. This being an opportunity that we had hoped would be able to be a dialogue, and yet it ended up mostly being one way, with the government speaking to the people. And while they spoke very encouraging words, not much was said about the things that we had hoped to be speaking about. Although, Lord willing, it seems that uh, things will be unfolding in that way and future discussions will be able to open up in that direction on how do we wisely continue? How does the government interact with the church in this kind of a situation? But it's in situations like that, in situations where we might feel disappointed by the government, in which we might feel disappointed in various other ways, not just in relation to this, but in relation to other government decisions that have been made, that we are brought to reflect, how are we to interact with the government? How is a Christian to live under the authority of a government in this world, a citizen of the kingdom of God, living as a citizen on earth, here on earth. And this is where we reflect on God and on the government, especially in times of fear. We'll be looking at this under this theme, God and government in a time of fear. And we'll see, first of all, a reflection of governments, good and bad, In the second place, God's purpose for government. In the third place, our response to government. And finally, the role of prayer. When we are reflecting on governments and on our task and our responsibility before governments, and we reflect on the words of Scripture and the words uh, that we confess through our confessions as well, the summary of Scripture that we find here. It can be tempting to think as, as we're looking at that. Yes, well, mostly. We can mostly submit to our government. But in other areas, our government is an exception. Especially when we consider 
areas in which there seems to be a position of hostility towards the church in our country. For example, with the summer jobs fund a while back when we were acquired, if there were uh, charitable institutions that were working for the government, they were required to check off a box that said that they agreed with various things that the government believed to be right, but that were in conflict with the word of God. When we see certain laws being passed, laws that grieve the Lord, laws supporting things like abortion and other things in this country, it can be somewhat understandable to to have those feelings. Yes, we must be obedient to the government, but in some ways our government is an exception. But here's the question that we ought to ask ourselves. When we hear the Apostle Paul, when we hear the words of the Holy Spirit coming out in Romans, is the Apostle Paul speaking of these exceptions as well, at least the things that we consider in our mind to be exceptions? Consider who the Apostle Paul was looking back on. If we look throughout time, if we look throughout history, we can see the fact that leadership, that authority has failed in various ways. And we can go back, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. At that time, Adam was supposed to be the leader. He was supposed to be the steward of all of God's creation. And God had created Eve to be his helper in this. God had created Eve to support him in this task of of growing the garden, of tending over creation, of being God's administrator over it all. And yet, what do we find at the very beginning of history? We already find a failure of leadership, a failure of someone who was intended to be God's representative on this earth, God's administrator on this earth, God's servant, God's steward, the one who was to carry out his work in this world. As we continue throughout history, we come to the time of the judges early in the nation of Israel's existence. During the time of the judges, you had these cycles coming time and time again. A leader would rise up After Israel had been under oppression from the nations surrounding them, a military leader would rise up, one who believed in the Lord and one who was obedient to God, and God would grant victory through him. And then the nations around would be defeated, and for a time they would enjoy prosperity and well-being. But then another leader would arise, and they would fall back into the same sins, into the same sinful patterns partly because of those people who had led them astray. Looking again to the time of the kings, sure, you had good kings like King David. You had good kings like uh, Asa and Hezekiah who initiated, who, who put in place reforms. They brought the nation back time and time again to God, to right worship of God and obedience and love for God. They led the nation in this way. But there was a reason why these reforms were needed. 
Time and time again, we find people in history who fell. People, leaders in history who fell, who did not carry out their task in the way that they were supposed to. Looking to the New Testament era as well, we find King Herod. King Herod who actually set himself up against God and who tried to destroy the Savior who was to come into this world, the one who was to be the King of the people of God, Jesus Christ. He sent soldiers into a little town of Bethlehem to slaughter infants. There were governments that were good, but we also see governments that were very bad, governments that were very wicked. And when we reflect on these kinds of governments, this brings us to our second point, God's purpose for government. As we reflect on these kinds of governments and and we see how humanity is so prone to sin, we see how humanity fails time and time again, we begin to ask ourselves, okay, if we see that these leaders are so prone to sin and so prone to wickedness, how can we understand what God is saying here? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. When we see them going astray so often, how can we understand what God has said? Well, when we reflect on how prone to sin our government is, other governments are throughout history, then we also need to reflect on the reason for that. When we look at the reason that these governments are so prone to evil throughout history, we have no further to look than our own natures. Human nature is broken ever since the fall into sin. Human nature is inclined towards evil. Human nature is inclined towards doing the things that are wrong. And our confessions state this. God places governments in the world in order that the lawlessness of men be restrained and that everything be conducted among them in good order. This is what's behind what the Apostle Paul is speaking about in our passage today. This is a recognition of the state of man. Mankind is fallen. Mankind is prone to evil. And so God has placed men in authority over mankind. And there is no authority except that which is appointed by God, Romans 13, verse 1. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. When we reflect on this, there can be the temptation to wonder. There can be the temptation to struggle. And yet when we see the reason that God has put this into place, 
And when we begin to believe the, the view, the point of view that God has on sinful nature, then we also begin to understand why it is necessary for government to be in place. Even governments that are made up of fellow human beings like you and I, governments that are so prone to wander, so prone to sin. But it's because of this task that God has ordained them to, the task of being a terror to evil works that God has put them in place. We read in verse 4 of our passage in Romans 13, he is God's minister to you for good. The government is God's minister to protect the people of God in order to protect those who obey, in order to protect those who are living in a way that is pleasing to God so that those who would commit crimes and those who would oppress God's people be kept in check. Since this is the case, that God has ordained them to be there, then we as Christians should be cautious in the way that we interact with those whom God has chosen to place on earth as his instruments. We ought to act in ways that are appropriate and godly so that they can carry out the parts of their task that are in line with God's will and that they may be unhindered by the people of God. That's the point that's being brought forward here in Romans 13. For he is God's minister for you to, to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on those who do evil. Now, if we reflect on the fact that they are ordained by God and that we are living in a way that reflects God's authority on this earth, then we should strive to go out of our way not to be a stumbling block to them as they carry out God's task, God's purpose for them on this earth. I can think of a time not too long ago that was in the news when there was a small uh, church community, some young religious people who got together for a party in recent weeks. The police came in, they had to break up the party because there was no social distancing involved there and because there was underage drinking going on there. When we find a situation in which we see this happening, then we need to seriously reflect on this. When we find something like underage drinking needing to be broken up by the government, then we need to reflect on that. We are creating a stumbling block for the government, resources that can be used in one area that ought to be used in another area are now being used on those who should be living in a way that reflects God's kingship on this earth. But what about when they wander? What about when governments overstep their bounds? It's at this point that the fact that he is God's minister to you for good goes both ways. 
If we look in the book of Hebrews, we can already see this with regards to those who are in the position of elders. God says that elders are to be held to a higher account by him because of the position of authority that they are in, that he will hold them to a higher account. This goes in the same way for governments as well. God has placed them in authority. They are God's ministers, and so they will be held accountable for what they do. If we look at other instruments in history that have been used by God, used by his hand, look at Jeremiah 25, verse 12, for example. This is a a statement that's made to the people of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And God says that he will use them as an instrument against the land of Israel to discipline his people. But God comes after them because they overstepped. He gave them freedom to have power over his people, to discipline his people for doing what was wrong, and then he punished them because they abused that power. Verses 12 and 14 of Jeremiah 25. When it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, then I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation for their iniquity. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. This was something that took time. It didn't happen immediately. But those who are given power must know that they will be held accountable before Almighty God when they do things that, are not in account, that do not align with his will. That they will be held accountable because they are not their own. They are not in a position of absolute power, accountable to no one, but they are God's ministers. And he will hold them to account. But this brings us to our next point, our response to the government. What do we do then? We aren't to be stumbling blocks to them as a general rule if they are carrying out what is right, as they are carrying out the purpose to which God ordains them. But what about situations in which they do wrong, situations in which they depart? Are we supporting governments when they depart from doing what's good by, say, paying taxes? Are we complicit, which is to say, are we involved in the evil that they do when we give the government taxes and the government, for example, sends tax dollars to abortion clinics or the government puts in laws in place that we don't agree with? Well, consider the government that the Apostle Paul himself was under. The Apostle Paul was living in a society under the rule of a government that allowed infants to be abandoned, exposed to the elements if they had some kind of deformity so that they would die. This was a government that allowed the father to have absolute power of life and death over his wife and children, known as patriae potestas. This was a government that allowed for the abuse of slaves and the murder of men, women, and children as they expanded their borders. And yet, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, 
is calling Christians to respond in this way in Romans 13. The Apostle Paul was writing at this point in time under Emperor Nero, an emperor who was known for his cruelty specifically to Christians. And we won't get into the full details of what he did because some of them are too horrific to describe. And yet, the Apostle Paul calls Christians to be faithful citizens knowing that they weren't ultimately serving the government as these faithful citizens, but God. Ultimately, they are serving the one who is above all of them. Ultimately, they are serving God himself as faithful citizens of his kingdom, even under times of persecution. And that God himself would hold these governments to account. It was their job to remain as faithful citizens before God in this earthly country. They were as they did this, to bear witness to unfaithful men. Unfaithful men in the culture around them and unfaithful men in the halls of power. Again, consider the Apostle Paul. If anybody had reason for bitterness, if anybody had reason for anger against the government, one of those people would be the Apostle Paul. Held for three years under the governors Felix and Festus because he would not pay a bribe and because they were trying to keep other people happy. And yet, we find him, by God's grace, coming time and time again, being called to the government time and time again to these governors, and he bears faithful witness of the gospel of grace, of the truth. This is what he calls us to do. And in the midst of all of that, he calls us to render to all who, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. There can be the temptation in days like these to call up our members of parliament and to let them have it over the phone. And yet, the Apostle Paul also would have reason to let the government have it. And the Holy Spirit still calls us in response to that to give honor to whom honor is due. To recognize them, perhaps although they do not have this, they do not honor this position as God has called them to, to recognize that they are still put in place by God. But does that mean there are no limits? Must we bow to the government no matter what? Of course not. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when Caesar or any other earthly human authority tries to lay claim to what is God's, we must not surrender that. We say with the apostles in Acts 5 verse 29, speaking to the religious authorities who tried to claim some of God's territory out from under them, we must obey God rather than men. Again, as we look to our confessions today, we see the authors of this very confession stating something similar. In the introduction, a copy of this confession had been sent to King Philip II together with an address in which the petitioners, although they declared the things that they declared in Article 36, they still said that they were ready to obey the government in all lawful things, but that they would offer their backs to stripes 
which is to say to whips, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to fire, so to be burned as heretics at the stake, which was what they were doing at this point in time, rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession, those truths of the gospel. There are times when we are called to obey God rather than men. And yet we must reflect carefully as we go through these days, as we go through the era of history, looking back on it. We must reflect carefully, recognizing that every authority has been ordained by God. Now, there's one final thing that we will be reflecting on this afternoon yet, and that's the role of prayer, which we touched on very briefly. We read about that here in our Belgian Confession, and that statement is based off of a passage that we find in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 2. We read there, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And this is what our key desire ought to be with regards to the government, that we bring them before the Lord in prayer, especially when the government is going astray especially when the government is beginning to do things that we fear might not be in line with the will of God. But at all times, we are called to pray so that we can be free to worship and free to impact this world, winning others for Christ by our godliness and reverence, influencing this culture from the inside upwards, But not just inside this culture upwards, but also pray from the top down. Pray for faithful men and women in the halls of power. Also to pray for men and women, faithful men and women, to come into the halls of power. The Esthers and the Mordecais and the Nehemiahs of our world. There are men, even one that has been mentioned by name by our premier, Doug Ford, who have a key influence, who have been a key voice on behalf of the churches. And this is something that is a blessing from God. We pray for such people at the same time as we pray for our premiers. Such people were chosen for such a time as this, but they need our prayers, they need support and wisdom This authority, too, has been ordained by God. Prayer is a blessing in a second way as well. As we come to God, we pray, our Father who is in heaven. And as we pray to God, then we can also take comfort in the fact that God is sovereignly in control. We can take comfort in times when there are uncertainty. This is a time in which a lot of conspiracies have been brought forward. And so this is something we need to reflect on as well. 
we can rest and we can trust, even despite conspiracies. We can rest and we can trust, saying with the second petition as our Lord's Day 48 puts it, your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the work of the devil. Every power that raises itself against you. Every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes. Wherein you shall be all in all. And this is where we are able to lay it at the throne room of God. Remembering that God takes the long view. Generations and centuries. That during this time, God calls us to faith and God calls us to obedience as he changes the fabric of nations. And where there are conspiracies, if there are conspiracies, resting in the knowledge that ultimately they won't win out, but that God will destroy every conspiracy that raises itself up against him. We are called to live faithfully and in trust, not trusting in our governments, but trusting in our God who reigns over all, being steadfast citizens and witnesses of Christ. And we can, because Christ has overcome. Consider the greatest conspiracy of all time. When God has been when Satan has been working throughout history, working to try shape things and twist things in order that the redemptive work of God could not come to pass. Trying to destroy Adam and Eve right from the beginning. Trying to destroy the seed of the woman. Trying to destroy the nation of Israel so that the Savior that would come through that line would not come and trying to destroy the baby Jesus as the men of Herod came marching through. Consider the greatest conspiracy of all time, redemptive history at its peak as Satan's conspiracy seemed to be victorious. And yet that was the moment of his greatest and most crushing defeat. Look at the outcome of that. Now Christ rules on high. Next Sunday we'll be celebrating Ascension Day, reflecting on Ascension Day in which our, we reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ did go up to heaven. And every conspiracy in line with that will be brought low. So beloved, In summary, we reflect that our citizenship is ultimately of heaven and that we are called to live as faithful citizens on this earth, good citizens and prayerful citizens here, seeking the prosperity of this land, yes, but also looking ahead to win the citizens of this country to heaven's kingdom and having that as our greatest and ultimate goal through faithfully serving, bearing witness, and patiently and prayerfully reminding our leaders, not through a lens of suspicion. Though we, of all people, know of the brokenness, the deep-seated brokenness in this world, but reflecting our trust in the ultimate authority, in God's authority. 
keeping our government accountable, not living a life twisted by hatred, suspicion, or fear, not weighed down by this immense load of fear and uncertainty, but recognizing that God's redemptive plan will carry through. From the fall in the beginning, he has been keeping it at work throughout history. And with the Lord Jesus Christ, being its pinnacle, who now sits and reigns in heaven and whom we can trust, whose reign is secure. For 2,000 years, the devil has been trying to wipe out the church after it sprang into being with the work of Jesus Christ. And already for the thousands of years before that in the Old Testament as well. And yet he has not been able to suppress the church His conspiracies have not been able to win out. And so we rest and trust in the hand of our God who works all things out for the good of those whom he has called to himself. Our God is in control. His kingdom is growing using even what we have here. And so while we live as his faithful citizens, his strength focused on the same things that he is focused on, we can rest at peace. The pillar of fire goes before us in the night for those who have eyes to see it. The pillar of cloud during the day. The heart of the king, as we read in the book of Proverbs, is in the hands of the Lord and he directs it as a watercourse wherever he pleases. Our God reigns in heaven. He is in control and he is, in, he is sovereign. Rest on that, loved ones. Amen.